October 29th. LA Podcast. By now, you will know if the Dodgers are still in the World Series. Yes. Although, are we supposed to say that? <laughs> that is true. I guess that really technically applies to any episode. When you're here. <laughs> By the time you hear this, <laughs> you'll know whether or not the Dodgers are in their World Series at this moment. You will also know whether or not it is raining right now. <laughs> What's more likely, the Dodgers will be in the World Series or that it will rain? Definitely the Dodgers. Or that will they will still, yeah. Okay. Well. Last episode before uh, the election day, or we have one more episode that's right before election day, but it's coming right up on us. We released our voter guide last week. Anyone who wants to check it out, it's at lawebsite.net. And that uh, redirects to a WordPress URL because I do not know how to do any of this. <laughs> uh, but that uh, the reception to the voter guide has been great. I've been really pleased to see people passing it around uh, and correcting uh, typos on it that I have to win <laughs> <laughs> all week and like panic at it. Saying that we have the wrong candidates for the wrong. It's like I switched two districts in the section that I was responsible for. Yes, I could use multiple, 25 and 27. <laughs> multiple people noticed that, which is actually. That, I know. That I'm very great. impressed. Yeah, nice work, I'm super people. impressed. We've, we've taught you well. Yeah, that is good. <laughs> that was a t- that was a test. Um, Who hit me with an L.A. story? Somebody. Scott wants to listen to go. Oh, why? 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 Okay. You always go first. I have one. I'm, I'm I chomping at the I bit. I didn't go anywhere. I have a good week. one. But okay, you start. I didn't then. go anywhere. You start. So the one consequence of doing a podcast about LA is now your friends ask you about different like city thing. Anytime they run into the city or the law in some way, they ask you questions about it, which I love. I love feeling like a smart sage. And I had a friend ask me this week. Uh, he said, uh, "Hey, has the RSO expired?" And I was like, no, I don't think it's expired. Say what RSO is in case The Rent Stabilization know. Ordinance, which we've talked about on the show, which says that any rent-controlled building, you can only increase the rent by 3 to 5%. And he said, okay, well, it seems like I'm looking it up, and it said like a lot of documents say it expired in June of 2018. Uh, so, And my landlord is trying to raise my rent by 10% in a rent-controlled building. And I was like, oh, that's weird. I wonder if it just, if in June of 2018 is when they pick the three to five percent right. number, right. which is what it is. And they pick three percent again this year. So he was like, OK, so it's illegal then for my landlord to raise my rent by 10 percent. I was like, yeah, I think so. And he went back and asked his landlord about it. And immediately his landlord <gasps> said back, oh, yeah, sorry, three percent. What? So I'm <laughs> sure this is incredibly common practice. Changing yep. lives. For, right? LA podcast. For landlords to be like, oh, this is just, we'll take a swing at 10. And if they pay, great. Of if they don't, that's what happens. Fine. I mean, yeah. Most people do not know, do not understand the rules because they're yeah. also very complicated. And also, I mean, if they, if a landlord said something like, okay, no, it's 4% this year and says like, what are you going to do? You have the time to, and the money to take me to court for this you know it's and then they'll say and also be sure to vote no on prop 10 your landlord told you to yeah or else and you just or, do else. or else we'll kick you out yes um so that's my la story uh, next okay so i i think my la story is yeah i i don't know i've been struggling to cope with all of the terrible news that is happening nationally yeah it's an awful week this is a really really terrible week um the kind of week that makes you just go like wow, a lot of terrible things are happening. And also I feel completely powerless to do anything to affect them in any way. So I, what did I do? I, uh, I binge watched the new reboot of Sabrina, the teenage witch. Uh, Okay. Any LA connections in that show? No, not whatsoever. (laughs) Okay. I feel like there is a, uh, uh, I don't know, just sort of connection in the sense that as long as you are, in LA, there are all of these. Uh, you have access to Netflix. Yeah, yeah. There are these 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 internet streaming. I don't know if they yeah, have these. Yeah, well, I'll pull off your LA story. This is something <laughs> I was like mad about online this week. There was a Fast Company article that came out yeah. uh, about how Netflix is paying writers and actors less than other networks. Yeah, uh, and it cited a writer as an example and talked about how he used to work on Jimmy Kimmel Live as a writer. 
uh, and was paid 200000 a year, which the article said in L.A. qualified as a middle-class lifestyle. Oh, yeah, that was ridiculous. I thought this was going to be your L.A. story, and I was excited to talk about Well, now I, you think. can. Now it is. It's not, it was not mine, no. But I, th- <laughs> I honestly just think that was like an error of like a New York-based editor just reading that and thinking that L.A. is just like this wealthy, I don't, know, uh, well, I think enclave... That, and, and just being clueless. I, I think the writer is from L.A., not to do any call outs, but uh, I think it's industry media. I think yeah. it comes yeah. from like if you cover TV writers, they all live in a specific set of neighborhoods in which 200,000 does get you something of a, of a middle class yeah. lifestyle. I mean, I think that's how Hollywood is just covered. What, what I would say is what I, what I said on Twitter when this came up the other night is that the median income, the median household income in Los Angeles is not a middle class income, which I think people right. have uh, yep. trouble reconciling. They're like, what, what is the average person making here? And the, the household average income for L.A. County, which is higher than it is for the city, is $55,000 a mm-hmm. year. Um, an average household here is three people. So three people, $55,000 is not middle class at cost of living in, in LA. It's so like the majority of people here are struggling and, uh, $200,000 a year sounds probably just completely out of the reach of of most families. And and I heard some people chime in basically saying, well, if you define a middle-class lifestyle as home ownership, like access to a decent right. education. A lot of people wanted to tell us how much they were struggling on, on Yeah, Twitter exactly. Too. People are jumping in being like, well, yeah, 200000 yeah. isn't that much. That That is, I think, restricted to a very small percentage of L.A. and especially L.A. County. Even now, with home prices being what they are, you can go in a lot of different parts in the city and county and buy a totally decent house with an income of 200000 a year. You can buy like a like a yeah. better than the I, I think the median home on the market right now is something like six hundred fifty thousand. Yep. That's right. In LA County, yeah, I mean, County I, it's like closer to five. I, I feel like fun, on a fundamental level, people are are more or less agreeing. Like the yeah. cost of living is very high here, right? Um, so two hundred thousand dollars a year here is less than it would be elsewhere, but also that yep. is only accessible to a very small number of people. I, I, yes, the cost of living is very high here, yeah. and the average income is very low. Yes, we are. We are kind of like the standard bearer for high cost, low wage yep. metropolises. Uh, just like whatever the opposite of the city on the hill is, uh, that that in Los Angeles, <laughs> the city, yeah, in the valley, the city in the valley. Yeah, uh, Alyssa, the good good LA story, Scott. Uh, Alyssa, thank you. Well, I I published this story this week. We did this big package at Curbed, um, yes. the Texas and United States of Texas and California package, which I thought was very well produced. Even though I was a part of it, I didn't really have much to say. That it was really well designed, really well produced, really well assigned um, yep. to look at these different issues in the two biggest states, which are also the fifth largest and tenth largest economies in the world. Um, and I, the story that I wrote, we had some great LA stories, one about legalized weed and we had some border stories that were really good. Um, and I wrote a story about the electric car problem is what I like to call it. How we, we can't just make every car magically electric in California and solve all of our problems. And we would do a better job solving many more problems if we, you know, did not do that and uh, made sure that we could help people get out of their cars as part of um, several different mandates that we now have for the state. And I love publishing stories. I got to go to Sacramento and talk to all these great policymakers. And I went to Davis, which is a little city outside of Sacramento that has um, 20 to 25% of people riding bikes to get to everywhere they're going every day, um, including like an amazing number of kids who ride their bikes to school on their own, which is like something that you just don't see in any in any mm-hmm. city anymore. Um, but it's always funny to publish these stories where I spend a lot of time pulling all this information and uh, talking to all these experts. And then there's the people who think that they're experts who like to contact me either via email. It's a lot of emails with these people who tell me I'm wrong and I need to do some different math and uh, electric cars are actually uh, the future. Different and math. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but I with like the overarching, like crazy, you know, life um, mind boggling, like uh, thing I walked away from with, I walked away with was that people believed that it would be 
easier to get every single Californian into an electric vehicle, which right now we have some cities have like maybe five to six percent of people driving electric vehicles than it would be to just get like 10 percent more people walking and biking in the state. Wow. Which is all we really have to do. (laughs) You know, we need to do both. Electric cars are important and like we need to like make sure our fleet is electrified. But people basically flat out telling me that uh, I need to go back and do some math because there's no way um, that electric cars won't be the the only solution we need and that we'll never be able to get people um, walking and biking. The story, I mean, the feedback you got as a consequence of the story <laughs> was huge. It went, you went viral. When I saw you oh, today, great. I was like, you looked different. I was oh, like, I, I do. Alyssa I feel, looks like yeah. she went viral. Well, it's you got to stay up late responding to all these guys <laughs> on t- <laughs> who email you with their opinions. It's hard. Uh, no, it was I'm a, ma- and it took you years, right? <laughs> to, to report that. To report. I mean, it, took, it, it was definitely like one of those stories where I got to go on several, um, reporting trips and and talk to people yeah i mean i feel like i've wanted to write this story for a really long time but the timing just got better and better because it was the climate summit and then this horrible climate report and then you know a lot of really good initiatives coming out of places like sacramento and at the state level so um this it's all good we just need to work a lot harder yeah the story was puig's homer in the sixth uh in game four (laughs) uh and then your inbox was the the rest of the game (laughs) exactly yeah (laughs) It's fine. I welcome your comments. Please email me your questions or better math if you have it. That would be great. Uh, We have a great story that I am so excited to talk about. I can't get enough of these purple line protests in Beverly Hills. Uh, And we have a story that's kind of uh, a great addendum to our conversation about the. Does that mean are we going to hear? Oh, I'm so sorry. Cue the music, please. Beverly Hills 90210. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this is an installment of Beverly Hills 90210. Then our last coverage of the Purple Line protests in Beverly Hills, which is there, if you're just joining us, uh, their uh, Metro is digging the Purple Line uh, extension under Beverly Hills High School. Uh, the local school board is pretending to freak out about methane explosions and uh, all this other stuff to try and get the project moved or ideally canceled in their minds. When we talked about this last time, they had just run this really expensive protest with tents and like all the kids getting to leave school for a day, basically, uh, and Porta Johns. And they have a website, The Purple Threat, that they're funding. And Alyssa asked over and over again, where are they getting the money for this? This is expensive. Is it the, like where is it coming from? Uh, and I brought up that a few years earlier, they had uh, allocated some funding to repair schools, to retrofit them uh, so that they wouldn't collapse in an earthquake. I was only making that point very snarkily uh, to say like, oh, well, you didn't care so much about school safety then. Right. Uh, but it turns out that is the money that they are using. That's to actually the funds that yeah, are fun. that's where using it's coming from. Yeah. So we had all the pieces. It was right <laughs> under our nose. Wow. I wish I'm going to go back into that episode file and just put uh, someone, ideally me saying like, oh, maybe that's the money that they're using. <laughs> to to edit it back into there yes. later. Yeah. Yes. Well, that would have been like a really like bold assertion I would to never make. have. I would have only as a joke. But now, like but now it turns out that that is actually the case. And uh, who actually reported on this? Well, there was a great story in City Lab by Laura Bliss. Um, Beverly Hills has financed its metro fight with 13 million in local taxes. And it talks specifically about this measure, Measure E, which was meant to do exactly what you were talking about. It was a... Um, it was a a bond, I think a bond, a bond measure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it basically was saying it was going to do these exact things, modernizing school facilities, structural seismic repairs, upgrading, repairing and reconstructing classrooms, these capital improvements that needed to be made. It's an older school district, it's older school yeah. facilities. I've heard people that went there that said that the building, you know, has always felt quite old and is, you know, showing its age. Um, and some of this money indeed uh, has been allocated for this fight. And I guess they could rationalize it and say like, oh, we're also protecting the safety of the Yeah, we're trying to they say something. the building's going to blow up if you fill the purple <laughs> right. line under there. It's for school safety. But it seems that some of these things that should have been done have not been done. And instead they're having rallies. Holy moly. Yeah. So I, I actually wonder like, 
are there any consequences if you lie about because you have to go to the voters, correct? I mean, yeah. so when you're telling them what something is about, you have to, I would imagine, be truthful about what you're going to spend that money on. Are there well, it sounds like so. This is so. Here's what it sounds like. It sounds like basically what happened with Prop Two on the ballot this year, where uh, there was a uh, they went to the voters to get right. money allocated for mental health services, and then tried to use some of that money on housing, which to some people would seem perfectly reasonable, uh, but to one lawyer. Uh, Marianne Bernard, she decided that that was not a fair use of that money because it was housing instead of services, and she sued mm-hmm. uh, and and successfully. And so now we have Prop Two on the on the ballot instead of just having been able to allocate that money. That's a very good connection. That to me. said, yes. the lawyers who would sue about something like this are mostly based in Beverly Hills <laughs> <laughs> and are on the other side of it. Yes. So I anticipate that nothing is going to happen. Well, we do have the accountability in the form of the school board, which none of the people who are currently orchestrating this are running for re-election and there's new people running. So I guess yes. in the problem Would have helped if we figured out who the those problem might people fix are. Itself. I don't know. The money's gone though at this point, right? Like it's it's already being spent on these rallies and right. and whatever. It certainly is not going to be used on retrofitting no. school buildings. No. So uh, yeah, I mean we don't. I guess, I guess we don't know if the money actually went to pay for the rallies. It could have. It probably paid to go to these litigators who are fighting oh, it right, in court. Tech. Right. I mean, we don't. I don't know exactly where that those paper purple streamers funding came from. Like right. this, you know, at the big. At the Will Rogers Memorial Park, but I think um, I think it's definitely like been p- been paying these lawyers to go after Metro all these years. Which is, if uh, I was a Beverly yeah. Hills parent, I mean, God, unsuccessfully. So they've yeah, been they've been fighting I this mean, case in multiple yeah, courts. At least yeah. get your money's worth, right? Yeah, for, right, for, yeah. for ultimately they have they have nothing to show for it, no. and uh, and that's why we end up where we were couple weeks ago with yeah. them begging trump personally to to take back the money getting their three-year-olds uh, yeah to, to be, please mr Trump. <laughs> hopefully there are no earthquakes in the yes. near future i don't know what else to say because like because uh that is a really irresponsible way to squander a bunch of money that was designated for a, a purpose that actually serves the the interest of school safety incredible segment my new favorite segment we have another popular segment that we're going to hit this week which is the la sheriff's department scandal of the week (laughs) no theme Uh, song for that one so the first story that we have this week this is our uh of course our sheriff's department and one segment uh where we give you two scandals for the price of one yes that is our promise that we make to you so this one this story is james harden uh or i guess uh we should use uh lebron instead this story is LeBron uh, just like going to the rack uh, in, yep. in traffic and, yep. and he's going up with the ball and he's going to convert it and get fouled. Exactly. I'm not sure how we settled on that metaphor, but yes, that is exactly uh, how the, yep, our and one is first story. We've got Joel Rubin and Ben Poston following up on their uh, uh, their bombshell report from earlier this month which was that uh the domestic highway enforcement team operating within the la county sheriff's department um which has focused primarily on trafficking narcotics also human trafficking to some degree has uh been really really prevalently pulling over latinx motorists uh on the uh interstate five corridor particularly in santa clarita valley uh two-thirds of the people that were pulled over were latinx even though the incidence of uh, criminal activity among those people pulled over was not significantly different from white or black motorists so following up with that report uh poston and um ruben this week have announced that uh the sheriff, Jim McDonald, has launched two more investigations into what's going on with this team. Uh, those are being headed by the new constitutional policing advisor, which is a, a role that uh, McDonald cre- had created. It's something that exists in other departments and is considered a best practice in policing, but did not exist in the sheriff's department. 
Um, and that is uh, that uh, individual is going to look into all of the cases, about half of the cases that have resulted in federal charges from the DHE, this domestic highway enforcement team. Uh, have been ultimately thrown out in court because of the, uh, as the reporters say, the credibility of the deputies pulling people over has been called into question. And also there have been concerns that constitutional rights have been violated. Um, Now, so DHE is part of a broader uh, federal, uh, uh, federal investigative strategy. It's kind of something that was put in play late in Bush's second term uh, and was continued by the Obama administration, uh, a war on drugs strategy that involves collaboration between the federal government and local law enforcement, trying to reduce specific uh, high intensity corridors of drug trafficking. So it's kind of interesting that this, Mm -hmm. that that a a group involved in this program is what appears to be profiling based on race in a really obvious way yeah are they sort of following practices that they've learned from like the federal government that they're cooperating with is this kind of thing happening in every corridor across the country yeah uh, that the the federal government has these programs in place and there are more than 20 of these corridors nationwide um each one with its own like uh, DHE team. Mm-hmm. So it is kind of, uh, I think it will be interesting to follow this story and see whether or not this is baked into the training that they've received as part of this. Obviously, a lot of war and drugs programs throughout the course of the past several decades have been implicated in racial profiling. Yep. Um, so it, it will be interesting to follow this and see whether or not this is another one yeah. that meets that. And it's the combination of malice and incompetence in this case again because like even if you accept the premise of the war on drugs this is not the way to execute what you're trying to do because you are getting all of your cases thrown out i'm sure many situations that are would otherwise result in uh, a successful prosecution yeah no i mean as we discussed last time the sheriff's department's response to this reporting was to say we've taken tons of drugs off of the street uh but half of the charges have been tossed. Yeah. Um, so clearly there is something wrong here. That's the second investigation that McDonald launched was into the policies of DHE, although all of the sheriff's department officials have strongly backed up um, the, the way that this enforcement is happening and said, McDonald has said he's proud of this team for the work that they've done. Um, so it remains to be seen whether or not anything comes of the sheriff's department led investigations. Uh, the office of the inspector general is running a third investigation and has, uh, indicated that he is very concerned by the fact that nobody in the sheriff's department seemed to be aware of this disparity in the racial composition of who was getting pulled over until the LA times released its story. Wow. So you're Has Alex Villanueva spoken up about this reluctant LA podcast endorsee. Uh, not to my knowledge. Okay. Yeah. I, I We're reluctant. He's not reluctant. He's <laughs> We're reluctant. Yeah. He's basking in the glow because this does seem to be the kind of thing like, you know, it, like he has spoken out against cooperation with the federal government in terms of ice being in the jails. But this, I mean, this is a sticky one for him because he would be going after deputies who he's been very soft on and federal government collaboration, which he has been harder on. Um, I'll have to look into that. I haven't seen yeah. anything from him about this specific issue. And yeah. I actually, to, um, to the point that you're making, I feel like this is an area where McDonald thinks that he is showing himself as a reformer. That's the office that he created going after uh, the constitutionality of the, the stops made by this team. He's trying to obviously be supportive of uh, the deputies involved, but yeah. um, but also showing that he is willing to investigate it. I think that is probably his perspective. Villanueva, to my knowledge, has been silent on it. He hasn't mm-hmm. certainly hasn't had a statement in any of these stories to date. Um, the well, and one. The and one. So this is LeBron setting up the free throw line. Yeah, this is where uh, Maya Lau comes in and just yeah. slams it home or whatever. <laughs> whatever we're at. Uh, so we talked to Maya a couple months ago about uh, sheriff's deputy clicks and their prevalence within um, the sheriff's department and the uh, potential emergence of a new 
gang of tattooed deputies in the sheriff's department in the Compton station. Uh, so that was with respect to the wrongful death lawsuit filed by the family of Dante Taylor uh, in relation to his shooting death at the hand, hands of deputies a couple of years ago. Now, uh, the judge in that case has ruled that deputies can be compelled to disclose if they are aware of the identities of other individual uh, deputies within the department who are members of these cliques. This has been an issue in the past where the law enforcement officers in the state of California in general are extremely protected by uh, a set of secrecy laws uh, related to their actions within the course of duty, related to uh, their personal choices. Um, they have the, the, the police officer's bill of rights. Mm -hmm. um, this is the first time that a, a, a judge overseeing one of these cases has actually said that this is not just a freedom freedom of expression issue. If there are, uh, if they have knowledge of these gangs, they can be compelled to say in court or in or by the department whether or not they know these people. That seems pretty big. Seems like it could yeah. open up a lot of cases. Yeah. And also, the the same judge said that he is unsure about how this would go forward. Uh, there's something called a, a pitch S motion where uh, uh, a party can request records related to an officer's conduct. Mm -hmm. And it, it gives the officer a little bit of an opportunity to uh, give reason why those records should not be opened. But potentially what the judge is saying here is that an officer can have their records related to their uh, conduct within a clique in the department opened and released to the public, which has not been the case in the past. Wow. So, yeah, so another uh, very large story coming out of the sheriff's department from, uh, from my allow, and we just basically now have to wait and see whether or not the department yeah. actually is on board with this. They have multiple times said that they are... Uh, conducting reviews, but then never make the uh, results public. Yeah. I, another guest of ours, um, James Sexton, we also spoke to him and he told us flat out from his time at the department, everybody knows who these guys are. Yeah. Everybody knows who everybody is right. who's a member yeah. of these gangs, of which is what you would expect. Of course. Yeah. Um, I know what gangs you don't. guys are in. <laughs> but but also they're very reluctant to uh, to break ranks and uh, expose that information. So if uh, if it is the case that they can be forced to divulge that, that is a major development in the in the attempts to break up these uh, secretive cliques. Yeah, and it could lead to tons more other cases being thrown out. Absolutely. So that's the Sheriff's Department and one. Uh, we've talked a lot about the LAUSD school board. Ref Rodriguez does, uh, resigned after multiple scandals for uh, the CN District 5. We now have a giant slate of candidates uh, for this seat. Uh, we wanted to go through some of the front runners, but it hasn't really shaken out yet. We just have um, this stampede of, of, of people who want this position, uh, which, uh, as we've said, is going to be the most expensive school board race probably in American history. And remind everybody again what, what this will look like. We're going to be voting on this next year, it's in looking March. like, right? Yeah, March. Okay. Yes, which are we allowed to do now under E and Triple? <laughs> Wait a second, didn't we pass some things that we said that weren't, we weren't do supposed this to anymore? do that? No, our our uh, primary will be in March, so it oh will yeah, be, so it does line up. Yeah, right. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. Cool. Uh, some of the people running for this: are, uh, Fidencio Gallardo is the current mayor of Bell, former English teacher. And you're like, Mayor of Bell, isn't that like uh, <laughs> Alarms the corruption capital <laughs> that of the United States? Take that well, off. actually, he was part of the recall movement. That's how he uh, got on the city council hmm. in 2010 after Bell was implicated in a massive scandal where all their city council members turned out to be basically the highest paid public officials in the United States, each of them making salaries of about half a million dollars a year that they had given themselves. Just a middle class income when you're talking about that. <laughs> <laughs> they they cleaned house on that city council then uh gallardo was part of the group called basta which uh, got rid of all these guys uh and he was nominated to city council and they rotate who the mayor is there he's the current mayor um so he's running and district five by the way is kind of two little clusters one is the gateway cities in southeast la 
which are Bell, Vernon, uh, Huntington Park, Maywood, places like that. And then there's a little shoelace that goes up more to northeast L.A., the neighborhoods of L.A. City, like Silver Lake, Los Feliz, uh, to like Highland Park and Atwater Village and um, Eagle Rock in those areas. Another candidate, uh, not sure how to pronounce her name. Is it Heather Repenning? Not Repenning? You said it right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Heather Repenning, uh, she is currently the vice president of the Board of Public Works. She has put together a truly daunting list of endorsements in a very short time. Uh, Mayor Garcetti, council members Wes and Rue and Caretz, a ton of labor unions that I assume she's worked with through the Board of Public Works. She was Garcetti's field depu- uh, deputy when uh, when he was a council member mm-hmm. in District 13. So she's extremely well connected, and she represents the Northeast LA side of the or That's the area, area that she comes from yep. she, that she was part yes. of District 13. But if you think about it, the Department of Public Works is probably one of it sets you up to be extremely well connected, like you mentioned to yep. the uh, to the labor unions. Um, but also to everybody in city council because Department of Public Works is massive. It yeah. attracts a, a huge amount of money, and uh, you know that that definitely seems like she's in a good position right now. I, I do like something she has on her uh, Twitter feed where she talks about that she is an LAUSD parent and that she believes that schools should be at the center of each community and should be a place where the needs of our kids are met through excellent teachers, support staff like nurses and counselors, healthy food, instruction in the RSP languages and STEM. So I like this idea of putting schools back into their positions in our neighborhoods where they are kind of these community centers and Mm -hmm. these places where also working families can get support in addition to just our children. She has a funny Twitter handle, if I remember. Heather means biz. Yes. Very public work, public work. <laughs> no, but she's great. I think I think um, I, I like the idea of somebody coming out of, you know, she she actually had done a lot of the work around water and urban forestry and things that I've interviewed her for that. And I, I like the idea of something someone coming out of City Hall mm-hmm. and, um, you know, going to to bring that perspective to, you know, the, the school situation down uh, in the gateway cities. We also have Graciela Ortiz, who mm-hmm. was a council member in Huntington Park, uh, yep. has uh, been a politician there for a while. We also have two former LAUSD board members. Uh, one is Bennett Kaiser, uh, who was running a uh, I told you so campaign. Yep. Uh, he was <laughs> dethroned yeah. uh, by Ref Rodriguez uh, in, in the last election. That would be the best lawn sign just to have <laughs> like, in front of you. Uh, and he is more of a union guy. We also have Jackie Goldberg, who was an assemblywoman, city council member, also in District 13. Immediately preceding Garcetti. Yes, uh, and was an LAUSD board member for District 5. She's had this seat before. Uh, she, uh, this was very funny, as they were deliberating over what to do about this seat and when to have the election and whether to appoint a temporary person. Uh, Jackie Goldberg was raised as someone that they could put back in this seat uh, just to have someone, uh, you know, manning the ship and, you know, the 700,000 kids or whatever it is that live in this district before the election. Uh, And that was voted down by the charter wing since she is considered a little more union friendly. Right. And George McKenna, uh, District 1 LAUSD board member, also a union guy, uh, said, if you don't let Jackie Goldberg have this seat temporarily, then she's much more likely to run for that seat. And if she runs, he said, say formidable. Say <laughs> formidable. Say formidable. Uh, so, I, I, so why is why is Jackie Goldberg formidable? I, I think that this was before it was known that, uh, well, I, I think we had a sense that everybody in the world was going to want to run for this mm-hmm. seat. Uh, the... Union wing obviously wanted somebody who would uh, sit and be possibly more friendly to them. I think Goldberg was the first person who uh, actually was ready to take the helm once the Rodriguez news came down. Um, But yeah, she has a wealth of political experience, even compared to uh, Bennett Kaiser, as we mentioned, has also held this seat. Um, But, you know, his I bet you wish you had voted for me campaign is probably not not as persuasive. Yeah. Um but yeah, so I I think that that uh that Goldberg has a lot of ties still 
within this district and also in LA po- politics uh, writ more generally. It will be interesting. It seems like it might come down to the um, it might come down to the candidates Jackie Goldberg and Repinning, yeah. who have uh, a lot of potential allies in current politics. Um, and and I do wonder, you know, what the differences will be that emerge between them before. March. Yeah, and interestingly, none of the people we've mentioned, um, I think, uh, speak up, which is a parents group that is uh, mainly charter allied uh announced a candidate who was running who whose name i'm uh, so sorry i'm not gonna get right but her name is allison bajra sharia uh and she's an executive camino nuevo um and 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 a former teacher so it sounds like we have like we have three camps emerging even like aside from the charter union thing we have Former teachers, we have politicians, current politicians, and we have bureaucrats. Like, yes. but it's interesting because, um, like, there is a very this district is enormous. It's whatever a hundred thousand yep. kids. This uh, it stretches a, a, a huge amount of LA County down from Northeast LA down to Southeast LA cities, uh, and yet the focus seems like it is overwhelmingly from a political perspective on. CD 13, which is yeah wider than the rest of the district and yeah. certainly uh, wealthier than the rest of the district. And I, I just kind of wonder, we've, we've already heard a lot of conversation about, um, you know, the, the Latinx members of the area in Southeast LA, South of Vernon, are they actually going to have a political voice in this process? And we have a number of candidates from there uh, but I think that they are at this point pretty much dark horse contenders compared, right. compared to uh, the the more established yeah. politicians in the field. Um, so a lot of interesting questions. Uh, in on the theme of interesting questions, Jose Huizar is is back in the news. Um, he, we we talked about him a few weeks ago. His wife Rochelle is running for his seat uh, in Council District 14, which covers downtown. Uh, they are sort of the Clintons of Los Angeles in, <laughs> in, uh, in, in a number of ways. I cannot be happy that you keep saying that. I mean, I just... Clintons are a very prominent <laughs> family. They, you know, they're in the news a lot. Uh, he, he got a complaint filed, what, like a, uh, the first, one of the first complaints filed in the new system set up uh, to, in response to the Me Too movement at uh, City Hall, he got a complaint for uh, discrimination and was never um, articulated exactly what it was, but it wasn't accounted for for months. And then they finally uh, sort of noticed that someone had filed this. Yeah. Um, and this past week, uh, he was served with not a complaint, but an actual lawsuit. She alleged that he had an affair with one of his aides who was given preferential treatment. Uh, but uh, she's the, the the woman who filed the the lawsuit against Weizar said that she was actually demoted for uh, complaining to him yes. that her and other staff were being asked to work on Rochelle Weizar's potential campaign. When now an and actual to do, like, campaign, personal stuff, I think was picking the other up, thing. Picking up dog poop. I love that one. Yeah. A lawyer also stated that this client who filed this discrimination complaint is not referring to the person who Huizar said he had a consensual affair with in 2013 who sued him for sexual harassment yeah. or to the complaint that was filed uh, through the city council system uh, that we talked about a few weeks ago. So this is a totally separate thing. Uh, you mentioned, Scott, that he kind of took the Kavanaugh, uh, the Huizar kind of took yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. The, the Kavanaugh <laughs> strategy in, um, uh, so in responding. <laughs> His his response to this, I, I thought, was extremely troubling. Quizar is a, is a an individual whose politics I've I think have largely agreed with in the past, but he has had a number of personal issues that make you question whether or not he's fit to be uh, managing political personnel, especially given the lack of of uh, substantial oversight that there is there or has been in the past. His response, though, was uh, I find it suspicious that these claims have surfaced now. When my wife has announced her candidacy for my seat, this further supports that this is politics at its worst. I did say that this was the Kavanaugh defense. We heard a lot during the Brett Kavanaugh hearings uh, from Republicans of of all uh, descriptions that 
these were 11th hour attacks that uh, had been just like held in somebody's pocket in order to uh, uh, derail Kavanaugh's political ascendancy. But this is weird to me, aside from the, the face value claim being kind of ridiculous. It's weird because the actual meat of the allegation is about Rochelle Huizar's candidacy. Uh, yeah. So how so, could it be brought? Well, of course, <laughs> now you're bringing up this complaint about me. About forcing you to work on my wife's campaign. Yeah, now that my wife is working on this campaign. <laughs> Politics at its worst. And then also the timing, I mean, she's announced so early. So like, early. So what Maybe that would yeah, be exactly. Like, there are no political actors that are even around that would be able to capitalize on this in the way that he is suggesting. Yeah. So the, the, the lawsuit does say that uh, staff were asked to work on quote unquote executive number two uh, <laughs> uh, you mean meetings. Pick, picking up poop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in this case, referring to uh, the transition of power in uh, Council District 14. Oh, sorry, I got a meeting with executive, <laughs> executive <laughs> number two. Uh, just sort of paving, using using their time as, uh, as employees of Huizar to prepare for the takeover of the district by his wife. So this is, uh, if true, an enormous scandal in, in CD14. Um, it is in incredibly improper uh, use of time for uh, political officials and, and gets back to a question that we've asked in a previous, previous segment uh, about Huizar, which is, uh, w this is a good episode for us. We were, right? really, we were really right on we're killing it. A number of the Keep things going. that we've said, uh, something that we said in a previous episode, which was uh, the the previous news about Huizar's affair came out years prior to the Me Too movement, and we kind of had had just had this discussion of what would that look like today, and how do these issues reflect on Huizar's ability to and his. Uh, whether or not he's responsible enough to handle a uh, a political office, yeah. and and now here we are again, and this is uh, I think an extremely troubling allegation on that point, and it's it will be interesting to follow how things get uh, discussed as opposed to how they were several yeah. years ago. One thing about the response of, uh, of of this is politically timed, of course. Now that my wife is running this campaign. You could say like, well, that def so the other ones are more legitimate than the ones right. that, that came in, you know, Years before ago, this right. announcement. But it's <laughs> tough as like, you know, like opinionated citizens. Huizar has been really good on a lot of transit stuff on like walkability and bikeability thing. Wouldn't you say, Alyssa, that? Yeah, he's I like mean, he's been a great ally for Vision Zero and uh, homelessness initiatives, things that we've talked about, right? Yeah, th th there's it. like a, there's a, a difference between um, personal character issues of like uh, a consensual affair, which is what Huizar really steadfastly maintained about the previous allegations brought against him. Eventually, there was a settlement there. There's a difference between if there are personal yes. uh, character issues and if there is actually sexual harassment uh, 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 retaliation, mm -hmm. um, the, uh, all the other things that have been, so, so it's now very much, uh, Huizar saying, uh, it's just my personal character is the problem. Uh, politically I'm great. And, uh, as a boss, I'm fine. Um, but then you have now a number of individuals saying that's not the case. And this is not just like Huizar's personal marital issues. This is, uh, issues with his management style. This is issues with the way that he treats women. Um, and those should be taken very, very seriously. Yeah. Irrespective of his politics. Uh, the, who's really excited about all this is Miguel Santiago, the assemblyman uh, for the district who is going to run for that yeah. seat. Uh, but there should be a woman in the field as well. Uh, mm, just steal that from Alyssa. You're not going to. <laughs> You're not gonna let I her looked say at that. her. She's not holding the mic. Tagline. I mean, it's good for you to say it instead of me. But yeah, news. The the uh, national presidential candidates uh, have carpet bagged Los Angeles. <laughs> uh, they're weighing in on the different races that we have around here um, for November six. Uh, two of uh, two of them are Mike Bloomberg, 
Uh, and Bernie Sanders. What did Mike Bloomberg do this week? The big news about Bloomberg, who has recently announced that he is uh, officially a Democrat, and I think he's been on a, a slow motion, uh, very considered path that I, I think he is, is deeply invested in, um, much more so than anybody else outside yeah. of New York. But uh, From an independent, we should say. From, not, a, not, from not, a Republican in the his first election. Yeah, the olden so, days, yes, no, I'm sorry, he was but a Republican. Yes, the Republican transition was from yeah. independent. Republican to Republican. Yes, yes, yes. To He's proving that people can change. To moderate Democrat. Uh, Did he announce any policy changes from his switching from independent to Democrat? No, actually. Really? He, yeah, he, I mean, he, it's the same. He has said that uh, the Republican Party just has changed and, right. and he no longer recognizes it. So people can change. Mike Bloomberg doesn't necessarily think so. Everyone else has changed except him. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, everything else. Uh, so uh, he has made now big news in California because he has just been just like uh, airdropping millions of dollars on races across the state. Uh, in particular, Katie Hill's race uh, against um, Steve, Knight. Steve Knight. This was one of the districts that we got wrong in the voter guide. I believe it is. 25 yes, California 25. 25 uh Bloomberg actually so before this happened uh Katie Hill was at an advantage of several million dollars over Steve Knight uh this is one of the races in the country that has attracted the most funding uh from outside sources Bloomberg added to that by dropping four and a half million dollars on TV ads for Katie Hill in the run-up to the election next Tuesday uh which kind of left Republicans just kind of like stammering like uh, that's that is that's it's more than they could possibly hope to make up. Uh, it, it is now a, um, a difference that is insurmountable. Uh, whether or not that leads to a victory for Democrats here remains to be seen, obviously. But um, but it really provides a boost to the Hill campaign going into the final week. Here. She was a little bit behind. I saw the New York times did that live polling thing for that district this week. And I think she was like two points behind in it mm -hmm. at, the, at the end of the day. Um, also Bernie Sanders weighed in on a few different props around the country this week. One of them was prop 10 in California, uh, which he signed on in support of. Uh, he has endorsed other Michael Weinstein uh, state ballot propositions in the past, or uh, I think the. Uh, oh, that's right, the pharmaceutical. The pharmaceutical yeah. uh, pricing one to, to lower lower drug prices right. or match them to what the VA pays. Um, Prop Ten got some bad news this week uh, in the form of another poll from the Public Policy Institute of California, uh, which uh, said that it was pretty much under. Like it, it had lost a little ground, I think from the last time they did the poll in September. It looked like it was coming up short, and the explanation for that was just an onslaught of ads, uh, which I have started seeing. Uh, I don't watch a lot of like local TV, but yeah. you see billboards all over the city, and the billboards say, it's a, a picture of an older woman, all the ones I've seen, that say... If Prop 10, older white woman. Yes, thank you. Uh, that uh, if, if Prop 10 passes, uh, my home value is going to go down, yep. and I can't afford that. Yep. And it kind of runs into the rhetoric that I've seen from lots of no on Ted people saying that, no, it's going to reduce supply, so that's going to make home values go up. I mean, the, the campaign is yeah. a, certainly wants you to think home values are going to go down. Yeah, no, I'd, uh, this is something that th these ads are, I think, patently ridiculous. <laughs> they are, uh, you know, the homeowner is living in a really, truly blessed state in, in California. Like there hashtag are hashtag blessed. They, they actually are hashtag blessed. Um, and I, I, I think it, it is remarkable to try to claim that rent control would even moderately ding the amount of price appreci appreciation that they've realized in the past several decades uh, or even if they've owned a home just for like 10 years, you know, there, there are so many benefits that come with being a homeowner here that rent control could not really even hope to assail them, even if that was the point, which it's not. And the, the things that I keep seeing in my neighborhood and they're not really, I mean, it's funny, like there are like wars of signs from like corner to corner and the ones mm -hmm. say bad for homeowners, worse for tenants. <laughs> 
And I just feel like that if you're going to lead with the homeowner argument, I mean, yeah. And like, also like, who cares about the homeowners? (laughs) I mean, it's really kind of ridiculous. So I think it's a testament to how jam packed this podcast is that there's a game that I want to force you guys to play every week. And we always run out of time because we have, I'm sorry. What's the game? It's I can't tell you because then you could study up for it. It's a test of knowledge. So it's something that anytime there's a slow news week, if it ever happens, then we will play this well, game. We but can't play it right now. On. The Dodgers went into 18 innings. Okay, it's going to be night. a really long episode. Wow. I, where's the where's the commitment? Okay, we can play right now. The game's in, uh, in 15 minutes. I thought it would be fun. We go back <laughs> and forth. Uh, you guys... Take turns naming the 88 cities in L.A. County. And the first one who can't name uh, a city loses. Okay. We Why? mentioned a bunch on this yeah, episode Yeah, we did. Today. That's true. Do you so, want to okay. go alphabetically? So, yeah, I know. That's what I started doing, too. I started, like, filing them alphabetically. Agora Hills. Uh, Are we starting? Or is, is there, like, a timer? <laughs> Well, I didn't think we were going to play the game, so I don't have the timer up. But that is number one alphabetically. I know it is. (laughs) Okay. Artesia? Correct. We don't have to do alphabetically. (laughs) (laughs) That's not number two, but it's up there. Alhambra. Yeah. (laughs) Bell. Yep. Culver City. Yep. Beverly Hills. Los Angeles. (laughs) That's a freebie. West Hollywood. Santa Monica. Scott and I are like looking at <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Alyssa. Hermosa Beach. Whittier. God, he's like he's, brutal. He's, Look he's, at him. He's got him loaded up. I know, he does. This is like in your... <laughs> I want deeper cuts <laughs> here. Vernon. Rosemead. Wow, he's just so fast. Yeah. Pasadena. Bradbury. Burbank. Wow, that's a that yes. is real. Bradbury's is deep. deep. Bradbury's yeah. a thousand people. That's real deep. Indus- um, industry, a city of, city of or industry. is it industry? I believe the technical name is industry. Scott I'll, is correct. I'll the two hundred and nineteen people <laughs> yeah. of industry I'll are well up represented. With commerce. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Claremont. That's Glendale. next to commerce. Did yeah. we already say Glendale? Glendale. Next to commerce, alphabetically not. Just <laughs> uh, Glendale. Yep. Uh, let's see. What do we got? Uh, La Mirada. South Pasadena. Correct. Yeah. Torrance. Tahunga. Tahunga is not <gasps> its own. Uh, I was just doing some teas. <laughs> I was just doing some teas. Tahunga is sun is part of Sunland Tahunga, a, a neighborhood in the I valley. Uh, wow. Scott, all Scott does all day is I look know. at lists of, at cities. Lists of cities. And so Scott was heavily favored in this one. But in the next game I come up with, I'll I'll give uh, Alyssa an equal advantage. I should have said San Fernando, which not many people know is actually a city in yep. the San Fernando Right? Valley. Yes, that's a fun one. God, I went for uh, Rolling Hills and Rolling Hills Estates oh, man, were both, left yeah, on the board. Yeah, Lots yeah. of laws. La Puente, Laverne, La Habra Heights, La Cañada, Flint Ridge, of course. Lots of laws. Um <laughs> We there's yeah there's stuff on on the board obviously a lot of gateway cities but Tahunga I definitely would have bought. I think we can play this again. Yes, we can, and we'll just see who. And I'll listen, and everything that we said before is is, is wiped off. I do do not try to side off at at lists of cities. (laughs) Sorry, we're out of time. I need to to explain. No, thank Uh, you for listening to LA Podcast. We will be back next week, the day before Election Day. Bye.